I guess as well on a personal level, you know, I want to show my children, I want to set an example for my kids. I want them to see that they're, sorry, I want them Sorry, you're an amazing example. You're an amazing example for your kids, Joe. Yeah, you're I an want, amazing woman. I want them to see that cancer hasn't cancer might have hijacked my life, but it hasn't crippled me. Like I am still I'm still a strong a strong woman and I'm fighting this with every ounce of my breath and I'm doing the best I can um, in a really shit situation. And, you know, I'm trying to be the best parent I can and just, yeah, I guess just try and live my best life while I'm living and do it with a smile and, um, yeah, with strength. I've got stage four bowel cancer. We're going to talk about everything from my diagnosis to treatment and how things are going right now talk about the things that people might be curious or want to hear but are too frightened to ask. That's Joe McKenzie-McLean and I'm Colleen O'Hanlon. We've been mates and colleagues at Stuff for 20 years. Since her diagnosis, Joe's been incredibly open about her illness on social media and in this podcast she wants to go further. So I'm just hoping that what we do here can just help people who are on that journey whether they've got cancer or not and make them feel that you know that they're not alone. I'm going to be with Joe every step of the way. There will be tears and laughter. She'll also offer practical insights, support and hope. This then is the story of Joe versus cancer. Hi Joe. Hi Colleen. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Great. All right, so today, last time we sat opposite each other, we talked a lot about um, the relationships in your life and the impact of cancer on them. Uh, today we're recording the final episode of this uh, series and we're going to really focus on wrapping things up and we're going to talk a bit about the future in terms of some practical things you're going to plan and we're going to kind of revisit the rationale for you in recording this podcast. So before we um, move much further, I thought we could maybe touch quite um, simply on some of the practical considerations you have with regards to your future, whatever that may be. Uh, you know, is that forefront of your mind? Uh, initially it wasn't, but pretty quickly I had some people sort of talk to me about what I've got in place um, if the worst happened. And I mean, I guess when I made the first call to a lawyer, she said to me that she was quite reassuring and said, look, everyone needs to have these things in place, whether you've got cancer or not. So that was the first thing in my head that I was like, okay, calm down. It's a down. good piece of life admin to do no matter what. Yeah, yep. because I freaked out. I mean, I've got a will. I, I sorted out a will really late after I got separated, but it's a very basic one. And I was a little bit head in the sand about what I would need to do for a will, you know, if something doesn't go my way. And it just seemed really overwhelming. I was like, what do I do? I am... You know, um, it just seemed like there was a lot of things to consider. You know, I'm a, at home with my kids. You're a single parent. So, yeah. You know, yep. Like, should I, you know, because you have to think about your children into the future. I don't know if I've got one, two, three, four, five, ten years left of my life. So it's almost like I had to consider, okay, what happens if I die? When All of those still, eventualities. Yeah. Yep. And... So it's it's been really tricky, and um, 
I've had a good lawyer who's helped me make some decisions around having people in place to represent the interests of my children, um, having, you know, discussing things like family trust. Yep. So, um, you know, I've been in the process of putting my house into a trust and having, I've put a, one of my best friends um, on that. Is she like an executor? Yeah, and just to kind of be, I wanted to keep my parents outside of, um, I didn't want them to be burdened with any financial responsibility mm. with the kids. I wanted, say, for example, you know, say if I died in two years and say my kids want five grand for something, I don't know. Yep. That they go to her for all of that. Yep. She, she will be in charge of liaising with my ex-husband for any kind of big financial decisions. decisions. Um, so I thought that was quite a good thing to do. Yeah, especially because your parents, no matter the outcome for you personally, your your parents will play a huge part of your children's life, right? So, yep. um, and it's been a reasonably rough road for them, well, a very rough road for them uh, even in the last couple of years. So I guess that idea of taking an administrative kind of part of their future off their plate seems like a really not a good one. I want them to be there to help nurture my children and be there for my kids in my place, I want them to be there to give that love and yeah. support and care, and I want them to focus on that, and I don't want them to be stressed with yeah. other um, really, yeah, administrative and, and potentially quite difficult decisions in future. Right? They, you know, money can be a difficult topic for people to discuss. So I feel like that's a really sensible thing to do. It yeah. was really stressful. It was really stressful, mm. and to get that done, is it felt like such a burden. When, Rem- yeah, lifted. Had, lifted. Yeah, like I did feel quite. Oh God! Was it expensive? You know, like is the cost of sorting out your affairs? It was like a couple of grand. Yeah, right. Which is, you know, it's not nothing, is it? You know, I guess it's one of those. You know, we've talked a bit before about, um, you know, you're obviously paying a lot of money for your drugs and treatment and transport and all those various things, but it just seems like another thing. I mean, we all have to do it, but you know, if you're putting all your, you know, dollars and cents into treatment plan, it's 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 you know. Not an insignificant cost, I guess. Well, but it is a good thing to do. It's also ongoing. Yes. Because, because I'm still working with lawyers with life insurance, help with life insurance um, Claim. pol- policies and potential claims. You know, I have uh, some policies there that I am looking to have to draw on to help fund my drugs. Yep. So the lawyers are helping me do all that. Um, and that's obviously costing money. Yeah. Um, it sounds really hard to do. My brain, and mm. when you're going through cancer treatment and trying to deal with everything, that is just, it's really a job that I, I'm quite happy to say to the lawyers, please can you take this? Outsource it. <laughs> well, I mean, isn't that interesting though? Because one of the things, you know, if, when we've, we've, you know, I've been aware of your cancer battle and, you know, you've, the pathway you're on, I never would have thought about the legals of it, you know, in terms of the having somebody just even try and get access to life insurance and that kind of thing, you know, I don't know. It's just it seems like in a health battle that doesn't they're not necessarily two things that go naturally hand in hand, right? Yeah, and mm. try try throw an ex husband in the mix. <laughs> I identify <laughs> uh, because you know I've had to involve him. Yeah, of course. Yeah, <laughs> you know we've had to have some conversations around what the future could look like, and that's been really tough as well. You know, having to sit down with him. Um, and just talk about our children's future. And, you know, that's been heartbreaking for me mm. to have to 
Of, of course. And and also it's maybe, you know, by nature of being separated or divorced, it's not the most naturally naturally communicative relationship in your life to talk about those very personal and intimate things with somebody where communication maybe is difficult anyway must be really, really, you know, taxing. And some of those questions that we have, I don't yet have the answers to, mm. you know, so things about money and yep. and what happens to my house you know will I rent it will they sell it yeah you know initially I was like you can't sell my the family home mm. like this is where the kids this is their home this is their stability and yep. then my mum's like well do you think the kids will see that home as a home with you not there like are you, you the home yeah that's exactly what she said you make the home and do you think that keeping the home is going to be more painful than um positive for them and you know it might be mm. better just to sell it and then have the money there for when they're older and need it, you know. So um, I changed – initially I was like, no, you can't sell the home, and now I'm kind of like, well, actually, I can see their point. So mm. I just have to I've, – I've basically said, well, you know, you guys are going to have to make those decisions yeah. without me when I'm gone, and you, you what, what's right for, for the kids um, and, and is the in kids, your hands. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I guess depending, you know, should that day come to pass, the age of the kids – would you know they might be old old enough to advocate for an outcome yeah. too you know so True. yeah um so like that feels like a you know pretty um heavy admin kind of task you've got to do but a really important one i think sorry i think it's good too to get done earlier rather than later yes when your brain is um you know, engaged in the process because yep. i can see how easily um it could get put off and then you could potentially deteriorate quite quickly and I'd hate for everything to be left unfinished and that would be even worse. Like it's just something you have to do, tick off that list and kind of just try and remove yourself, remove the emotion from it and just think of it as something that you would do regardless of having cancer or not. Yeah. And your time only gets more precious, right? So, you know, that's another reason to use it now rather than later, I suppose. Yeah. So, um, I, um, you've talked to me before about, and you've kind of, you know, as you often do, make a, a joke about some of the tough things about your situation. Um, and you've made casual kind of passing reference to having met your future in Burma, which, you know, I have to say, you know, there was a, a, a big fat lump in my throat, but I also really, um, I think your approach to those kind of topics really sums up who you are and how you're kind of facing this, you know, huge fight head on. Is, is that something you'd feel like you could comfortably share with listeners? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no no problem. <laughs> Chronic oversharer. I'm happy to, you know, talk about anything. But uh, I didn't intentionally seek out my future in Barma. It, it kind of happened um, organically. It was just a bit weird. I, I'd been to a friend's funeral last year and she was um, one of the funeral directors. The Embalmer. She was the... Oh, yeah, the embalmer. Well, yep. I presume she was the embalmer there. Um, but before I got cancer, I was doing some celebrant work, weddings and funerals, and I had connected with her in that role, and um, we had worked together um, a bit, and we just really gelled. As she's a woman similar age to me, got children, and she was she had said to me, "Oh, I don't know how you can stand up in front of all of those people and." Um, and and do that, and I was kind of like to her, well, I don't know how you can <laughs> go into a room with a dead body and embalm them. Like that's, I was in awe of her, and we just had this really cool sense of humour and yep. mutual respect for each other. And um, I could tell that she was really passionate and sincere, and just loved her job. And anyway, I ran into her at a friend's funeral, and um, I got home, and I was thinking about it, and I thought, you know. <sighs> 
it's such a um I just had this vision of me <laughs> lying kind of on this cold, horrible table dead. And it's such a um I just It's a very <sighs> intimate moment, really, in some ways, isn't it? And it's kind of like I wanted someone to look after my body who I knew. It sounds really strange, but I didn't want some creepy old man embalming my body. And a lot of funeral directors, no offence, seem like kind of creepy old men. Uh, I, don't, I don't know that that's weird, Joe. to want... Sorry, that's so offensive. I don't mean that. There are no. lots of funeral directors out there who are, you know. But I just, you know, I'm going to be naked and I'm going mm-hmm. to be... It's it's really a private moment it's and I want to dignity. be looked after. I want, yeah. And, yeah. I, and I want to be cared for in death as, you know... As in life, yeah. And my mum, I mean, my mum did a bit of a stint in a funeral home, which was um, an interesting career sort of diversion for her for a little bit. And I know just from that experience how um, how important that part is, you know. And I think mum will probably be part of that process if it did happen. But I really just felt this desire to have Jody be my embalmer, so I messaged her... <laughs> Just casually on Facebook. Yeah, Facebook messaged her and said, oh, hey, Jodie, it was lovely catching up at the funeral today. (laughs) Hey, girl. (laughs) Just wondering, this is a bit of a weird request, but um, if things go bad for me, I don't suppose you would be my embalmer. And she was like, yeah, you're right, I've never had a request like that, but it would be my absolute privilege to do that for you. So, again, a bit like the will, I kind of felt, a bit of a relief and I was like you know if if things go bad and um you know I know that I'm going to be in really caring hands and that she will be respectful and um yeah you know and Joe, that means a lot to you now but should that awful day come that will always also mean an enormous amount to your family you yeah. know and I think so I think that's a really like in some odd way it's a really um lovely thing that you've been able to arrange yeah and I think just having, I suppose, yeah, a little bit of control and, again, mm. not leaving things to other people to decide. Um, it's something that is my wish for my mm-hmm. body. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds so weird to say. But, yeah. It's a, it's a little bit like, you know, my funeral plan. I haven't I haven't done anything really on, on that, which is one of my... It's to, on your to-do list. It's on my to-do list yeah. is my funeral plan. And I joked with my friend Glenn... Um, about he he does he's been doing a few funerals and um yeah and we had a, a wee conversation about it the other day and I said oh you're good but not as good as what I would be and I said actually I might just do my own officiating for my own funeral and just, <laughs> uh, you know so I actually might I might yeah. I might just do my own funeral I don't know like who knows I'll get a videographer in and yeah <laughs> be on the big screen you know but like to have the last word I think it's a, um you know. A very normal thing to think about that because in some ways it's the last way in which you could communicate with your loved ones, really, right, you know? And I guess depending on what your beliefs might be, et cetera, but I think the idea that you can be play an active part in that kind of celebration of your life is pretty awesome. Well, yeah, I haven't done it yet, so we'll see how I go. Get thinking about music. <laughs> <laughs> so, Joe, we're at the end of the final episode and I think it's a really good time for us to, you know, revisit why you set out on this journey in the first place. Do you want to talk about that? Okay, well, firstly, if there was 
a mirror in the room, people would see for themselves <laughs> what a journey this has been <laughs> recording this podcast because I look terrible. <laughs> there's been there's been tears but laughter too, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's been emotional and mm. um, I hope that listeners have really listened to the podcast and are taking something away from it um, because I guess, you know, a few months ago, I was cleaning up my desk and I came across a letter that I'd written as a 16-year-old to my future self and um, in it, amongst a lot of teenage, you know... Drama. Drama. uh, I had written that as an adult I had wanted to be doing something worthwhile with my life. You know, I'd said, I I hope you're making a difference somehow. And, you know, with having cancer, I read that and I thought, you know, this is a way that I can actually make a difference. I've got the unique perspective I guess of being a journalist so I look at things differently I, I ask questions I have have traveled from day one on this journey looking you know at the health system through a journalist eye not just a patient's eye and and really absorbed everything and been quite shocked about some of the things that I've encountered in terms of you know equity and drug funding things that I did not have a clue about things even just chemotherapy treatment side effects from chemotherapy I had no idea about cancer, really. You know, my nana had cancer, my uncle had cancer. um, But really, it hadn't touched me that intimately. Mm, I feel quite mm. guilty that I never really paid more attention to what they were going through. Um, But when when you were faced with it, when I was faced with it, it opened up a whole other world to me that I had no idea existed. And the more I started talking about it to people and writing stories about it and the and the, the response from strangers that I got, the response from family and friends who started thanking me for talking about things that they had perhaps wondered about or, um, you know, didn't have um, the voice to, you know, they have the same concerns as me, but they didn't have the platform to speak about it. So, you know, it's really given me that motivation and inspiration to to talk about it as much as I possibly can because it just really doesn't get talked about that much. Mm. We all hear about cancer. There's cancer stories every day in the paper, but, um, you know, just getting down to that really kind of nitty-gritty level, I don't know, mm. just that some of those little things that I've encountered that I thought, actually, who knew that, like, you didn't always lose your hair having chemotherapy? Mm. Who knew you went through chemopause? Who knew that you could pop out and pussy acne, like, spots if you went on one treatment? Who, You know, and who knew that Cancer Society was there that could, you know, they don't just bring around cups of cups of coffee and talk about cancer. They actually can provide advocacy and they can help with transport. You know, they've helped do my garden. You know, like there's just there's just so many things um, in this cancer space that doesn't get talked about that, you know, I guess by doing the podcast, I've just wanted to open some of those doors, start conversations, hopefully, you know, raise awareness about some inequities that I've faced that other people face and, you know, importantly, raise awareness that young people like me can get cancer, that it shouldn't be, young people shouldn't be dismissed by the GP so quickly. It really needs to be, you know, concerns need to be taken seriously and um, the more diagnostic testing that becomes available, the better, you know, it will save lives. That needs to be improved you know, there's just so, I mean, this podcast could go on forever probably mm. about things that it's thrown up or, you know, things that we haven't been able to cover. But, you know, I've, I've, hopefully I've, I've, I've done my best 
with you, with your help to try and, you know, cover some of these some of these things. And I guess as well on a personal level, you know, I want to show my children, I want to set an example for my kids. I want them to see that they're sorry. I want them. Sorry, you're I'm an amazing example. <laughs> you're an amazing example for your kids, Joe. Yeah, you're I an want, amazing woman. I want them to see that cancer hasn't cancer might have hijacked my life, but it hasn't crippled me. Like I am still I'm still a strong a strong woman and I'm fighting this with every ounce of my breath and I'm doing the best I can um in a really shit situation. And, you know, I'm trying to be the best parent I can and just, yeah, I guess just try and live my best life while I'm living and do it with a smile and, um, yeah, with strength. So, well, you know, Joe, you've certainly, it has been a roller coaster, but there's been lots of smiles. And I feel like, you know, it's it's been a privilege to be on the journey with you, but I feel having observed you and your kids yesterday, I feel like you can take all those boxes. The relationship we have with your kids is amazing. I feel you know it's you're an enduring presence in their life. Thanks. I love you. I love you too. <laughs> God, is that enough? You've been listening to Joe versus Cancer with Joe Mackenzie McLean and me, Colleen O'Hanlon. We know our conversations might be a tough listen, whether you've got cancer or you're caring for somebody who has. There's lots of support available and there's information in the show notes. This is a Stuff podcast produced by Chris Reed. You can listen to the full series at stuff.co.nz or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Kia kaha. Be strong.